Oh, thank you for tuning in to the 106th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, iHeartRadio, appreciate you tuning in, I'm going to have a great show today, I'm going to have Sam Fortier on, uh, Covers the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post. So I'm going to have him on for about 18, 20 minutes. Maybe a little bit more. We'll see how much time we have. Uh, going to be a really interesting guest. Uh, look forward to having him on. I think it's really interesting, right? The Nationals, I believe this is their first ever World Series append, uh, appearance. A lot of stuff, a lot of narratives with that. You know, Bryce Harper, their star free agent, leaves in the offseason. And they go to the World Series, right? They go to the World Series. So I think Sam is going to be really interesting. Don't always get a chance to have some baseball. And I know a guy named Mr. Abel will always criticize me in the occasional Facebook post. If I don't talk about basketball, it'll be like, Daryl. So, Mr. Abel, here's what you have, right? But here's where I want to start. Uh, I'm going to start with football. So, right, Thursday Night Football. Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos. The Chiefs lost two straight games. Everybody's like, there's the sky falling. And guess what? In the first half, the sky really starts falling. Patrick Mahomes dislocated his kneecap. People were saying, is it a patella injury? Is he out for the season? And now it turns out it was a really big scare. And it had my heart stop kind of as a sports fan. You know, there's always that moment, right? Remember when you fail a test and you're like, damn, and you're kind of like a little shook. You get rejected. You're kind of a little shook. You get called out in class because you know you didn't do the reading and then you kind of embarrass yourself. You break something when you have to house it. Those are those moments that just make us be like, damn. And we have those moments in sports. When your team loses because the ref makes a bad call. When your star wide receiver misses a wide open pass. Wide, wide open touchdown catch. When David Tyree in the Super Bowl Catches the face mask, uh, the face mask uh, catch from Eli Manning, right? Against the New England Patriots. And injuries. I, I can remember uh, when Kobe Bryant, uh, one of my favorite athletes ever, my, my favorite athlete ever, actually, my favorite basketball player ever, uh, really got me into sports. And I remember, I believe it was the 2012-2013 NBA season, and uh, Kobe in, in, uh, had a great year, was a top five player, top three, really. And brought the Lakers from being out of the playoffs to they're in the playoffs. They're playing the Golden State Warriors. And this is pre-Golden State Warriors. Pre-Kevin Durant. Pre-Steph Curry being a top three player in the NBA. Pre-Klay Thompson being one of the best two-way players in the NBA. Pre-Draymond Green being an all-world defensive player. And Kobe in about the fourth quarter tears his Achilles. And that was the death of Kobe Bryant and we never saw Kobe Bryant again. So I know those moments. And I kind of felt a little bit of that with Patrick Holmes. I was like, damn. The NFL is so much more exciting with Patrick Mahomes. And I, I know I said this before in a couple podcasts before. You know, the NFL is built to survive. Ben Roethlisberger can get hurt and it's like, okay, right? Drew Brees can get hurt and it's like, okay, oh, uh, oh, all right. But you want to know what? When you miss a guy as talented, as transcendent, as important to the NFL as Patrick Mahomes, as important to the competitive balance in the AFC as Patrick Mahomes, you feel it. I felt it. And I'm glad the injury's not as bad as it 
was originally stated and as it was, was as it was originally thought. Because it's going to make football that much more interesting, particularly in the AFC. Because I'm like, hell, if the Kansas City Chiefs don't have Patrick Mahomes, then the Patriots just have a free walk to the Super Bowl. And, you know, nobody wants to see that unless you live in New England. Now, I want to talk about this, right? And like I said, we're going to have uh, Sam Fortier covers the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post in a bit coming up next. But here's where I want to go. And it's really interesting, too, because there's this mythology in sports. And, and I fall for it sometimes. You fall for it sometimes. We all fall for it. You need stars to win, right? Right? I go to John Carey. Everybody includes, like, oh, my God, Browns, Browns, Browns. They have Baker. They have Odell. They have Jarvis Landry, Miles Garrett, Ninjoku. All that star power. And where are the Browns? Two and four. I remember a couple of years ago... When, um, more than a couple years ago, I believe it was 2011, Vince Young, and I said the same thing and I compared it to the Browns, right? Vince Young. He said, oh, it's the dream team when the Eagles had Michael Vick, Vince Young, Namdi Asamoah, they had Trent Cole, they had all this talent, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin. And they missed the playoffs. You see, talent is not the end-all, be-all. See, and we get caught up in talent because talent does this. Talent is box office. It gives TV ratings, commercial ratings, endorsements. You see them. It's sex appeal. It's exciting. But that doesn't mean it translates to on the field. And it's made us lazy as sports fans and sports consumers. We assume, hey, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they have LeBron James. They're supposed to win. No, they're not. Because you want to know what? It's the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James, and a bunch of guys that who can't really play. So no, they're not supposed to win. It's like, we have Patrick Mahomes. Oh my God, we're supposed to win. The Chiefs are supposed to win the Super Bowl. No, they're not. So, you know, see, sports is interesting, right? Because there's team sports and there's individual sports. It can all be about Serena Williams and tennis, but it can't all be about LeBron James and basketball. Team dynamics, coaches, uh, general managers, organization, chemistry, camaraderie, all that stuff matters. We have Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is supposed to win. He's the most talented quarterback ever. Aaron Rodgers only has one Super Bowl and has only been to one Super Bowl. Right? We forget about that chemistry. We forget about, you know, coaching. We forget about all that other stuff. For example, when we talk about talent, who, who, who's more talented? Who is the better pure baseball player? Derek Jeter or Alex Rodriguez? Probably Alex Rodriguez. But you want to know what? Derek Jeter has more rings. Who's better in hockey? Alex Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby? Alex Ovechkin scores a whole lot more goals, but Sidney Crosby got a whole lot more rings. Who's the best player in baseball right now? Mike Trout. Guess how many playoff wins Mike Trout has? Goose egg. Guess how many playoff series Mike Trout has won? Goose egg. Yeah, people say age for age, pound for pound, he's the greatest baseball player ever. Look at free agent signings that we've seen. Albert Pujols of the Angels. What did the Angels want? Bryce Harper just went to the Philadelphia Phillies. They missed the playoffs. He leaves the Washington Nationals. They go to the World Series. Manny Machado leaves the Los Angeles Dodgers, goes to the San Diego Padres. No playoffs. Bryce Harper, and you see, right, and when he left, uh, people, some people would say he's a top five player. Uh, for a while, people said, is it him or Mike Trout, right? Very good player. That's why he commanded so much money on the free agent market. But you know what? The Nationals, team, pitching, right, came in as a wild card. 
And they win. And you know what? They sweep the St. Louis Cardinals in the NLCS. Sweep them without their star supposed best player. These were Bryce Harper's stats this year. 260 batting average, 35 home runs, 114 RBIs. Okay, but not great, not transcendent. And you want to know what? The Nationals, they didn't need him. And you want to know what? They can beat either the Astros or the Yankees without him. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Live, we're going to have Sam Fortier on. He covers the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports, we have a very special guest with us, Sam Fortier. He covers the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post. How are you doing, Sam? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Now, the first thing I want to ask you is, because you started covering this Washington Nationals team this year, just talk about their development from, you know, uh, spring ball to, to now, and they're in the World Series. Just talk about that development and that story and just that time you've been there. Absolutely. So... Uh, I came on to this beat and last time uh, the Nationals had played. Real baseball, they were sort of a middling uh, 82 and 80 team, pretty disappointing with, with the high payroll and the, and the stars that they had. Um, in the offseason, they lost Bryce Harper, uh, you know, one of the game's biggest stars. Um, but uh, they replaced that production at the plate pretty easily uh, with Juan Soto, the female 20-year-old left holder. Um, obviously, you can never replace the marketing power and style Bryce has, but uh, you know, up the field, and I don't think they uh, start this season. Uh, they were 19-31 after 50 games. They were the second-worst team in the National League, um, but they really turned it around. They, they added a, a veteran named Gerardo Parra. He made the clubhouse fun. Uh, they got healthy. They started hitting. Uh, their pitchers became their best pitchers, and uh, they became the best team in baseball for about a month. Um, so after that, they really took off. They really transformed into a juggernaut and they had the best room uh, in the National League tied with the Dodgers for the rest of the season after after that 19-31 start. So it was a really impressive turnaround by this team and they were able to uh, get into the postseason. Once you get into the postseason who knows what can happen from there. So they you know won the National League all card They defeated uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers in five games in the Then they went out and swept the Cardinals in four games in the NLCS. Now they're in the World Series. Now, just talk about this team's confidence and resilience, because obviously, if you start from where they started to get to where they are now, even to be a wild card team and to beat a team like the Dodgers that had such a great season, you have to have a lot of confidence and resilience to really believe in yourself. Just talk about that, the mentality that this team has. I think a lot of professional athletes have confidence. I think that's how they get there in the first place. I do think this team might have regained a sort of swagger. Once you, you know, get back to 500 from that 1931 start, you really start picking up on the keys to, you know, what, what the team that you're supposed to be. 
you know, the top of the lineup hits and steals pieces and the bottom of the lineup, uh, you know, moves runners over. And, and it's really a, a full working unit. They're starting pitching, um, which is what, how the team was built with Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg. Those guys started stealing, started keeping them in games. And, and that's what really allowed them uh, to, to get back into things. I, I think it was the tail showing through as much as confidence or anything like that. Now, when was the first time you watched this team in the postseason? It could have been the Dodgers, it could have been the Cardinals, and you're watching them and you're like, this team's for real. Like, you know, they, they could win it all. When was the first time you watched them and you were just like, okay, like, like they're legit. Like, they're just not your, your you know, run of the mill wild card team. Like, they're legit. When was that time for you? I think it was the postseason. I really realized this national team was legit in mid September. They were sinking in the standings. They, all that ground they had built up throughout the season, they were losing some of it. Uh, in the wild card, they they tough stretch against the Braves and the Phillies. Then the New York Mets come to town, and the Mets have a six-run lead uh, going into the ninth. And the Nationals came out and scored seven runs on the night. It was one of the first times in history, in the Nationals' history, that they had won a game when traveling by six runs or more than the night. And the, and the Mets' first game ever losing. So it was a historic night, but it just showed me that this Nationals team would never give up. They would never give away at bats, no matter how bleak it looked, no matter if it was, you know, a cold Tuesday night in, in September uh, against the, you know, a team that, that likely wasn't going to make the postseason. To me, that win sort of set it off. Now, now I want you to take me to the uh, NLDS when they're playing the, the Dodgers. Just talk about that series, and, and how were they able to beat the Dodgers? How did that? How was that able to come about? The Nationals really beat the Dodgers by shrinking their roster. They used the starting pitching, which is the talent of their team. That's what they've invested in. They've given $525 million to the top three starting pitchers. They basically said, okay, we have a historically bad bullpen. We have a bullpen that's one of the worst ever in Major League Baseball. We are not going to use those relievers except for two. They trust two relievers, Daniel Huston and Sean Doolittle. They're going to use those guys, and they're going to use their starters in the relief as well as starting, you know, if they have a side session plan, if they have a scheduled throw day, instead of throwing off the side, they'll throw in the game. So we saw Patrick Corbin, we saw Steven Strasburg, we saw Max Scherzer all in relief, and that was able to build the bridge and give the Nationals enough time and enough leeway to build up leads and to retake leads. So that is why the Nationals were able to beat the Dodgers. Now, just talk about how that's able to help a team where you have your starting pitcher, your ace, and then you have another starting caliber pitcher come up, and in terms of really, just talk about the type of advantage that can give a team. Right, I think you said it. I mean, that's sort of, when you have the caliber starting pitchers that they have, I think the Nationals have three of the top 15 in the National League by metric. You know, when you have those three guys, and Max Scherzer comes in and shuts some dudes down for seven innings, and then you say, okay, we're not going to our guys in the bullpen that can get scored off. We're going to the second best pitcher in the National League, which is Steven Strasburg. That's a really demoralizing thing for a team, and it really challenges these hitters. It gives them no good looks. I mean, those guys are the best because they don't make mistakes. So when you throw guys like that back to back, it's just demoralizing to an offense. And more than demoralizing, it just makes it really difficult to hit. And, and as you saw, they didn't. Now talk about their... NLCS matchup when they play the Cardinals and they just, they dominate the Cardinals, they go 4-0, they sweep. Just talk about how that series win was able to come about. And how were they, were they able to dominate the Cardinals so thoroughly? 
it really goes back to the same thing. Uh, game one, Annabelle Sanchez, their fourth starter, took a no-hitter in the eighth inning. In the second game, Max Scherzer took a no-hitter into the second inning. In the third game, Steven Strasburg didn't carry a no-hitter too far in the third inning, but he struck out 12 Cardinals and really did not allow them to threaten all night. In the fourth game, Patrick Corbin, he scuffles, gets a four runs in the fifth inning, but the bullpen comes in uh, and really limits the damage there as the offense for seven runs. I, I just think even, their starting pitching is their strength, but even when they're starting pitching scuffles, you see their back come in and pick it up. So this Nationals is really all about whatever they can do. They are a team that will probably can win any night. Now, talk about how this team, how they've been able to have the success, you know, and you, you mentioned this in the beginning, while kind of missing a guy like Bryce Harper, who's one of the best baseball uh, players out there, and they're able to do this without him. Just talk about that. I, I really think they were able to replace Bryce Harper just because they had one on I mean, you know, he's 20 years old. He, he might have just been down or gone through some really rough throughout the season. But when you have a caliber hitter like, like Juan Soto, he figures it out. I mean, this season he had 34 home runs and 100-something RBI, which is basically Bryce Harper's season last season. I mean, he really did not allow any drop-off on this team, and I think that Bryce's contract might have irritated or, or the way that his star sort of hung over the clubhouse. I think that could have thrown off uh, some other nationals. So I, I also think there's an element of addition by subtraction, um, and I just think Bryce Harper's departure really didn't hiccup uh, the nationals. You could even argue that Bryce Harper's departure sort of helped the Nationals in a way because not only were they able to put one solo on left field and not lose anything, but also they were able to sign Patrick Corbin for $175 million. And, and if Bryce Harper accepts that $300 million contract, you're probably not going to be able to pay Patrick Corbin. So as balanced as that roster is, in a way, owes to, owes to, or, excuse me, owes to Bryce Harper not resigning. What do you think the feeling around the organization is about Bryce Harper? Do you think it's more like, you know, we thank you for what he did, he's gone, or it's kind of like, you know, like we didn't really need him. What do you think the feeling around the organization from the players to the manager to everybody, what's the feeling about Bryce Harper leaving and then their success thereafter? I think they respect Bryce. I think some guys might have, you know, not appreciated how Bryce handled his contract season. You know, that was a really large topic of conversation the entire season. But I do think they respect him. I think he was generally well-liked. You know, he was a good baseball player. He helped them win games. So anytime you're doing that, you're going to have teammates who like you. I think the organization wishes nothing but the best. Obviously, he was a pretty foundational member in, in getting the Nationals back on the map. He was the sort of person who helped the Nationals reestablish themselves as an, you know, a relocated team from Montreal. I think it just didn't work out. That's business. He capitalized on generational talent and generational wealth. But obviously... You know, they, they're not feeling any type of way about him not being there anymore because they're succeeding just fine. Now, when you talk about some people might not have appreciated what happened, what do you mean by that? In terms of they might not have appreciated... How free agency was handled, how free agency was handled, or, the, or him oh, leaving. I, I think, you know, so throughout the season last and Bryce would sort of not discuss this contract situation, which was fair, you know, that's prerogative. But I just think it, it sort of became a distraction for the team and I think he might have let it affect his on-field play. He obviously had a really down year. I just think the contract situation sort of overshadowed everything, uh, especially the supporting season, and I think some people might have gotten frustrated at that. I think people just, you know, might have said, okay, you, you, you should get an extension done now, or, or you know, you should, you should not let this affect you so much. I just think that some, you know, some of his teammates might have said, okay, let's focus on baseball again.
Now, I want to go back to the Nationals pitching because that's kind of how this team's built, and you alluded to that. Uh, and, and we even saw this, you know, uh, and you can see this in the Dodgers series and everybody's talking about Clayton Kershaw and how he's struggling. Like, he can't get over the big game. How are guys like Max Schwarzer and Steven Strasburg, how are they able in these big games to consistently deliver? Like, where do you think that comes from from those guys? Where, you know, because you're all you're out there on the mound, you're all alone, and it kind of sucks when these you know, balls start getting hit. But how are they able to play at that high level so consistently? Well, and it's a hard job to do. You can make argument pitching is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, I think that's a, an intuitive thing. I think that Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg are just two guys that are that are built that way. Steven Strasburg has talked about you know postseason starts don't mean anything to him because he was once built as a generational talent as a as a pitcher. And when you get that sort of tag thrown around, when you get that sort of expectation heaped on you, any start feels like a postseason start. So for him. The postseason doesn't mean that much, and obviously he has one of the best postseason yards ever. Um, so it hasn't, you know, it hasn't affected him too much. And Max Scherzer, I just think, you know, he's he's competitive as hell. I think he's just he's kind of crazy. Like he loves moments. He loves, you know, the, the higher stakes, the better. Uh, he loves the drama. I just think that's sort of the guy that Max is. So it really feeds into both their personalities. Now, this team, they're sitting out. Do you think they have a preference on who they'd rather play between the Astros and the Yankees? Personally, I think they'd rather play the Yankees just because the Yankees are weaker. Uh, they don't have this, their, their bullpen is worse and their starting pitching isn't as good. Uh, but I don't think that they, I mean, I don't think they'd really care if the Astros end up winning. I don't think they're going to be disappointed. And what's the team doing right now? You know, how are they uh, being able to combat, you know, being off too long? You know, people always talk about peaking in sports. Uh, you get a, a long rest, and then you're not as uh, sharp for when the game action starts. Hit. How do you think the team's handling that? Yeah, we talked to them today, and general manager like Rizzo said they're going to play a simulated game on Sunday. Uh, they're going to fly out on Monday. They're really kind of taking this day by day, trying to treat it like they would in the regular season. They're trying to, you know, get their pitchers who want to pitch some innings. They're trying to get their hitters some live at bat. This is just a sort of this is sort of just what what it takes. I, I think when you are a team like the Nationals is built on pitching, you always want more days off so you can give your pitchers time to reset to prepare for a seven game series. I think ultimately this is what this would prefer. Now, uh, I want to know what, what's your prediction? Whether it's the Yankees or the Astros, who, who do you think? Do you think the Nationals will win? Without knowing the Your opinion. Who's the best pitcher on the team? I have to go with uh, Max Scherzer. I mean, I know Steven Strasburg's numbers are better this year, but Max Scherzer has extra time and again, he can escape in these, in these difficult high wire situations. I think his intensity, I think, I just think everything that he's able to do to hitters uh, plays best right now. I think Steven Strasburg is masterful. I think he's the smartest pitcher. Um, I think Max Scherzer and now you've covered this team for about a whole year now right since the beginning and just tell me are there any like funny stories or any interesting things about some of the guys that that, that really kind of tickled you you found funny or you found interesting <laughs> um you know the more you are on baseball players the more i realize that, that they're just regular people i mean um 
their relief, one of their relief the big fish football guy. He knows I used to cover the NFL, so we talk about football all the time. And uh, there's been situations where, um, you know, guys will guys will talk about books they're reading, or they'll mention, uh, you know, I was I was at the club last night, and this girl was like, you know, give me your number, and I was like, I don't know, like what to do, <laughs> and just like. You know, and he's like, and he's like, well, you never know. Like, are they trying to like hit you up because you play baseball? Are they trying to hit you up because they like actually think you're cute? Like, what do they kind of do? So, it, baseball more than anything for me, it's just been about realizing these guys are are just people and, and sort of all acknowledging that they go through the same things that we go through. Except for wondering, oh, does she like me because I'm really good, or does she like me? Oh, that's funny. Uh, now, is there? Would you say there's any difference though between covering the Chargers because you did used to cover the, the Los Angeles Chargers between covering the Chargers and the Nationals? Like just a difference in terms of the mentality, of football players and baseball players. Um, I think I think football players are definitely more. They, they are a warrior culture. They're a warrior mentality. Obviously, they play a much more brutal, short-term sport. Um, it, it's sort of a different mentality. It's sort of a first personality. Baseball players are more laid back. They might be crankier because you know baseball's every day. But I think ultimately athletes share a lot of traits. You know, and obviously they're they're different uh, person to person. But I think athletes share a lot of traits. You know, they, they want to go out there and they want to show they're the best. They, they want you know prove they can they can do it whenever they need to. That that sort of you know that sort of machismo I think is, is the common thread through all those sports. Now, Sam, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. For sure. I appreciate you having me. with Barbershop Sports Talk. And again, I want to thank Sam Fortier for coming on the show and appreciate him spending some time out of his very busy schedule. Uh, covers the Nationals for the Washington Post, you know. Uh, strapped a lot of time, especially since they're going to be in the World Series. Um, and they're going to start games soon as soon as the Yankees and Astros get the, their series done with. But I appreciate him for coming on and spending time out of his very busy schedule to come on the show. And here's what I want to talk about. Um, so, big news in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey, traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars, to the Los Angeles Rams. And it's really funny, right? Because first, you know, I I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts, sports talk radio, uh, sports talk television, a lot of that. I consume a lot of that content. And one thing I always hear from people, even when I'm talking with friends, is, you know, people are always like, why do they do that? Picks, 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 young players, assets. The Sam Hinkie model for the Philadelphia 76ers. Collect as many assets as possible. And I'm just like, why? So here's what I'm going to have, you know, right? Because the, the word that's used a lot of the time, it's potential. This team has so much potential. Oh, my God. And there, there's dangerous words in sports, right? I, I think if somebody calls you a cancer, that's dangerous. You know, you're hazardous to the locker room. Selfish, it's a dangerous word to just be associated with. You know, you only care about yourself. You're a stats guy. You're a me, 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 me guy. You're not a winning guy. Low IQ. You don't really understand the game. Right? You know, nobody wants to be called dumb. But the most dangerous word, potential. He can be so good. He has so much potential. He's not as good as he could be. 
You know what that means? That's code for you're slacking. You're underachieving. You don't believe in yourself. You're putting out a half-arsed effort. And potential is often something you can't really quantify. How am I supposed to know if he or she can have potential? Just because they're athletic looking? Just because, oh, this person has a 50-inch vertical, so yeah, they have a lot of potential to be a good basketball player, even though they can't dribble or shoot. Hmm, okay, I guess I'm kind of understanding. Not really. So here's what I'm asking. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is what I'm asking everybody to do. Stop bragging about picks, young assets, and rookies. The Rams did the smart thing trading for Jalen Ramsey. You want to know why? Because the Rams have lost their last three games. And they lost two games to divisional opponents in the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. The Rams got Jalen Ramsey for a first-round pick in 2020 and a fourth-round pick in 2021. Right? But that's a good deal. That's a good business. I guarantee you. How many cornerbacks do you think are going to be as good as Jalen Ramsey? Jalen Ramsey is arguably the best cornerback in the NFL right now. Chances are, in this upcoming draft, you're going to get the best cornerback in the league? Not very likely. Especially anytime soon. Right? You know, people are always like, bad camp cap management. The Rams have $108.75 million of their 2020 cap invested in a couple guys. Aaron Donald, who has $25 million. Jared Goff, who has $36 million. Todd Gurley, who has $17.25 million. Brandon Cooks, who has $16.8 million. And Jalen Ramsey, $13.7 million. Guess what? All essential positions in football. What do I always say? You need your quarterback, right? Quarterback's the king. You got Jared Goff. You need a guy that can get after the quarterback, negate the quarterback, pass rush, defensive line, Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, a guy that can run the ball and help your quarterback, Brandon Cooks, a guy that your quarterback can throw to, and Jalen Ramsey, a guy that can lock down the team's receiver. Now, all these moves haven't worked out. I mean, Todd Gurley right now has arthritis, and there's a point to be made there, but the Rams are doing the smart thing. You invest in the premium positions. That's what you do. The dumbest things. We didn't get a deal done. Not enough picks. We need to build for the future. Who gives a hell about the future? Listen, tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. You can get fired before you ever see the future. Ask Mark Jackson, right? <laughs> right? Mark Jackson had a baby. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. Oh, my God. Look at the future. Look at the future. Look how good the Golden State Warriors can be. Uh, Mark Jackson never got to see the future. Actually, he did when he was commentating for ESPN on the NBA Finals when he saw Steve Kerr coaching the team. Don't tell me about future. Don't tell me about potential. Oh, my God. Listen, he could be a, he has the potential to be a great husband, the potential to be a great dad. Then why can't he be that right now? Right? Huh? Is it just a little weird? Just something I don't understand. Now it's time for crazy, lazy, or... Maybe. Adam Silver rejected China's request to fire Daryl Morey? Silver says, no chance. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver confirmed Chinese interest asked for the league to fire Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey for his tweet in support of pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. We said there's no chance that's happening. There's no chance we'll even discipline him, Silver said. At the time, 100 Health Summit per time scene gory. So, 
I'm going to go crazy. You know, this is actually kind of funny. Uh, China, China is trying to flex their monetary power. I'm assuming by saying, hey, get rid of Daryl. And I'm happy they didn't get rid of Daryl because that's my name, right? Even though uh, Daryl Moore's name is uh, spelled incorrectly for Daryl, but that's another story uh, for another podcast. But, you know, this is a little crazy, right? Because then again, you could, it, listen, Daryl Moore could very well get fired because he kind of broke what the Houston Rockets wanted to do. Their uh, owner, uh, Fertitta, he didn't sound like he was too happy about Daryl Morey's tweets. So Daryl Morey can get fired for that. But I'm just going to say crazy because, you know, it's it just crazy how <laughs> one tweet from a general manager that I guarantee you most casual sports fans don't even know about could start an international controversy. Ryan Fitzpatrick to replace Josh Rosen as Dolphins Week 7 starting QB versus the Buffalo Bills. Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores told reporters on Wednesday that Ryan Fitzpatrick will get to start for the team on Sunday on the road against the Buffalo Bills, according to Cameron Wolf. That means second-year quarterback Josh Rosen, who was pulled in Sunday 17-16 loss to the Washington Redskins, returns to the bench. Maybe. This is what Brian Flores had to do. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I guess at this point, he's a better quarterback than Josh Rosen. That's not really saying much, but I guess that's the case. He's a veteran. He's been through it. And he's a former Buffalo Bills. He's a former Buffalo Bill. So, you know, maybe you can get a little bit, Ryan, get a little bit juiced up, you know, to play in Buffalo. You know, Rosen, you know, he's from UCLA, from California, not necessarily the best in those type of environments, you know, the colder weather environments. So have Ryan Fitzpatrick on Fitzmagic. Make some things happen. Timberwolves, Andrew Wiggins, there's not a hundred players better than me. I don't really look at that too much. Top 100 or not top 100, Wiggins told ESPN on Thursday. There's not 100 players better than me. So it doesn't matter what people think. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. My job is to come out here and hoop. And that's what I'm going to do. Andrew Wiggins is talking about not being involved, I believe, in the ESPN's uh, top 100 list. Or it could have been Bleach Report. But it's uh, one of the two. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> Wiggins. I have never heard so much trash talk about a what I think is a fairly good basketball player, even though he hasn't lived up to standards of being the number one overall pick in a draft that had Joel Embiid, right? But I've never heard so much trash. I've never heard people just say, Wiggins sucks. Wiggins soft. Wiggins can't play. Wiggins is Canadian. Like, there's always something bad people say about this guy. Is he a top 100 player? Yes. Yes, he is. So I'm going to go crazy. That's what I'm going to go. Now, we have... Browns, Miles Garrett says, fan extra pincher, then punched him in the face? Cleveland Browns defenseman Miles Garrett revealed that a fan asked to take a picture with him only to punch the pro bowler in the face. Fortunately, the punch didn't even make Garrett flinch. Uh, I'm going to go lazy. You see, the fan right here uh, has it all wrong. Uh... When, when you're going to punch a professional football player in the face to try to get a picture with them, you should do it to, uh, and I'm not advocating violence, you should do it to Tom Brady or uh, uh, Drew Brees or uh, a kicker or a punter. Try to get Adam Vinatieri. He's like 46 years old, for God's sake. Not the uh, 6'5", 290-pound defensive end who runs a 4'5", and if he puts hands on you, could literally kill you with his bare hands. That's not a smart idea on the fan. Report, Yankees pissed at Astros over alleged sign-stealing in ALCS Game 1. The whole dugout was pissed, the source told Andy Mortino of SNY. Everyone was chirping. 
A Yankees coach reportedly noticed the whistling coming from the Astros dugout during certain pitches on Saturday of Game 1. The two sides argued about the situation during the game, which apparently caused Houston to stop whistling in Game 2. Maybe? You know, the Yankees have a point. Uh, obviously, I guess you can do whistling, but, you know, it, it messes it up. You know, it's kind of not fair. It's not, you know, baseball has a lot of unwritten rules. So, baby, you know, I, I get why the Yankees would have a problem with it, I guess, especially when you get to that point when you're in the ALCS, you'd expect it to be based off the merit. Just straight up, who's the better team? Man on man, Amano on mano, person on person, you know, make the best man win, the, the worst man lose, right? So, you know, no, no, no trigger, you know, no extra stuff. Just see who's better. So, so I understand that, and I, you know, and I, I get it. John Calipari, more NBA draft rounds would be all about the G League. Speaking at the SEC tip-off event on Wednesday, Calipari argued that additional rounds wouldn't be for the NBA, but rather to stock its developmental arm, the G League. If anybody supports more rounds in the draft, those more rounds are to get kids to go to the G League. You do not care about college basketball or you're trying to ruin college basketball, Calipari said. Lazy. See, you know, and John's right. Uh, extra rounds, they actually hurt John Calipari. But you want to know what? If you don't add more rounds, then I guess you don't care about the G League. Or you're trying to ruin the G League, right? Or make the G League worse than it is, which is pretty bad because nobody watches it. So, you know, you can go around and around and around. And guess what? Players get paid to be in the G League. Uh, so I guess I can understand why it make more sense for players to be in the G League, Right. And that's it for crazy, lazy, or maybe. Now, cut up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to tell you a story that Jalen Ramsey should heed word to in the future, and all of you should too. Cut up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Now, and I was talking about this a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, right, uh, former All-Pro cornerback uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, traded to the Los Angeles Rams. And I, like I did say, you know, great move for the Rams. Go big or go home. You know, may make the moves, right? And I said this a lot of times. Uh, like, you know, screw assets, screw picks. Like my Los Angeles Lakers in 2008, you know what they did to make Kobe Bryant happy? They traded for Pal Gasol. They went to the NBA Finals. You know what uh, Danny Ainge did for the Boston Celtics? They had the worst record in the NBA. Then you know what he does? Hey, let's get Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. Guess what? They win the championship that year. The Los Angeles Dodgers, one of the best teams in the NL. You know what they do? Get Manny Machado last year. You know, we see this in sports. You know, it's something you always need to do. We even saw with the Rams last year. They get Marcus Peters. Get a Dante Fowler in there. They go to the Super Bowl. So I think big moves are always important. But uh, a problem Jalen Ramsey might have is, uh, remember when Jalen Ramsey last year was right in his mouth and kind of torched the whole league, particularly the quarterbacks with his mouth in a GQ article? And I just want to read this really quickly. Here's what he said about his new quarterback, Jared Goff. Jared Goff, he's average to above average. He reminds me of Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit. Year one, he wasn't good. He wasn't even good enough to earn his own starting role. Like, if you're the number one pick... You expected to start now, period. He wasn't ready to do that. He wasn't able to do that. Then when he did get in, he didn't really do that good. 
But in the second year, they got a new offensive coordinator. Your offensive coordinator is just your brainiac. When we played them, it felt like his offensive coordinator was drawing up perfect plays and then he was hitting the open man for what his team asked him to do. Yeah, he's good. Now, see, now you might say this isn't that bad, but this is what it means in NFL lingo, right? <laughs> when you say he's average, he's okay, you're kind of saying he sucks. And then when you mention he sucked in his rookie year when he had no help, and then he has his offensive coordinator and he's a product of a system. He's a system player. And then you say, all he was doing was hitting the open man. He wasn't leading wide receivers open. He wasn't making the plays, uh, making plays on his own. He's a product of good players and a good system. He's not really all that good. He's overrated, overhyped. Kind of a little bit disrespectful, Jalen Ramsey running his mouth. Uh, and <laughs> Jared Goff, I think, laughed it off. But, you know, this is a lesson, everybody, right? And, and I can remember this. Uh, people, and I'm still learning this myself, too, but, you know, people... Well, watch what you say about people because you never know in life how that could come back to bite you. Perfect example. I remember one time last year I was in my room and uh, somebody came in the room and, I, and I'm not going to mention individuals' names and somebody I knew, somebody I would say is a friend and uh, they said some uh, very negative things about me actually. Uh, and they said some stuff that I was a little flabbergasted. And I was like, damn, okay, tell me how you really feel, buddy. And then you look at somebody and you're like, ah. Another example. Uh, I remember uh, there was somebody that I knew and me and him weren't really getting along. And then somebody else put in this group chat that I wasn't a part of. But, it, you know, it was shown to me. And somebody said, oh, this person does this and this and this. And it's just like, okay, you, you get to know how people really feel. Because people will rarely say stuff to your face. But then guess what? When you work with them, you know, you have to have a relationship with them. Then things get a little funny. Now, this probably doesn't end up being that big of a deal. Because if you think about it, Jared Goff is an offensive player. Uh, Jalen Ramsey is a defensive player. You know, they're not going to be in the same meeting rooms. They're just going to be together on Sundays kicking butt. Like, th this isn't going to be this super controversial issue. But if it was a receiver, it could cause some issues. It could cause a little bit of issues. And they might have a heart-to-heart. -heart. But it's just a warning out there. Watch what you say. Watch what you say. Now, uh, we are going to have a uh, very special segment on Barbershop Sports Talk. This is a segment. Uh, this audio will be on uh, Pointless Sports Opinions with my guy, Caleb Reardon. Um, love his podcast. Everybody out there, go check him out. He's on iTunes. He's on Spotify. He's on all that as well. The new, the Brooklyn Nets, excuse me, the Brooklyn Nets will miss the playoffs. Kevin Durant will not come back at all this year, and Kyrie Irving will get hurt. Everybody's going to start hating Kyrie, like everybody in Boston hated Kyrie, and the Nets will miss the playoffs. The Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, they will lose in the second round to the Houston Rockets in six games. I'm calling that here right now. The Lakers' dysfunction will continue all year long. Remember the Genie bus, all the Frank Vogel, all that nonsense, all the Rob Palinka mess, all that stuff. The Lakers are going to be a soap opera all year long, for better or for worse. And that's it for my NBA predictions. The Brooklyn Nets will miss the playoffs. Kevin Durant will not come back at all this year, and Kyrie Irving will get hurt. Everybody's going to start hating Kyrie, like everybody in Boston hated Kyrie, and the Nets will miss the playoffs. The Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, they will lose in the second round to the Houston Rockets in six games. I'm calling that here right now. 
The Lakers' dysfunction will continue all year long. Remember the Genie Bus, all the Frank Vogel, all that nonsense? All the Rob Palinka mess? All that stuff. The Lakers are going to be a soap opera all year long, for better or for worse. Donovan Mitchell will finish top five in the NBA in scoring. He's going to average 27 to 28 points per game. Last year, he was 12th. So I think Donovan Mitchell is going to make a huge jump and put the Jazz really into contention to be a legitimate contender in the Western Conference. And lastly, Ben Simmons will finally start shooting three-point shots. But here's the caveat. He's going to be missing a lot of uh, three-point shots throughout the year. So Ben Simmons is going to be shooting like 20%, and we're all going to close our eyes and be like, oh, no, every time Ben Simmons shoots. Now, coming up next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have our last segment, my favorite segment, It's My Name, The Night Train As We're Leaving. Coming up next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk. back with Barbershop Sports Talk. And now, it's time for my favorite segment. The last segment. A really interesting segment. And it makes me so happy to love Deshaun Watson because I used to love Deshaun Watson when he's in Clemson. But hearing what I just heard makes me love him even more. I'm going to tell you for the night train as we are leaving... Man, I love Deshaun Watson. really loved him when he was at Clemson. I loved him when he lit up Alabama. But something that Deshaun Watson just did makes me love him that much more. And I just talked about this earlier in the podcast. My favorite athlete, my favorite basketball player is Kobe Bryant. And it turns out on BR Gridiron, I looked at this morning, Deshaun Watson is apparently taking lessons from Kobe. Here's what it said. Deshaun Watson grew up idolizing LeBron, but it was Kobe who mentored him on finances and mentality during an hour-long meeting before the season. Trying to achieve greatness is life or death to him. And that's why I freaking love Deshaun Watson. That's why I love Kobe. And that's why Deshaun Watson, he's clutch. He's a gamer. He's a baller. He's a playmaker. He's a guy that I do not want the ball in his hands. If he's playing against my Buffalo Bills in the fourth quarter drive, he strikes that fear in me that Tom Brady does. He strikes that fear in you that Michael Jordan did. That fear that Kobe Bryant did. That fear that Derek Jeter did. That fear that Michael Phelps did. The fear that Usain Bolt did. That fear that you know, this is one bad son of a guy. That's all I got for today. Uh, again, I want to thank Sam Fortier for the Washington Post from coming on talking about the Washington Nationals. And... Thank you again for tuning in to the 106th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.